0: This morning, we are looking at this uh, Matthew chapter 1 in the Christmas story, a story that we've referred to several times this Advent season here, and we're looking at a different aspect of it in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Here again, God's Word. Now, the birth of Jesus took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray for God's blessing on his word. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would send your spirit to teach us here this morning to teach us the hope that is found only in you, and Lord, that we would fix our eyes upon it and hold to it and cling to it and make merry because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. His name is Jesus, Yeshua, Jesus. It was a name so commonly used in ancient Israel at the time of the birth of Jesus that people would have to distinguish which Jesus they were talking about. So there was the Jesus of Jerusalem and the Jesus of Jericho and, of course, the Jesus of Nazareth. And it was a name that was so commonly used. In fact, one of the ancient writers at the writing around the time of Jesus in the early church, in his writing, he actually refers to 20 different historical characters by the name of Jesus. Jesus of Bethlehem, Jesus of Galilee, Jesus of Jerusalem, Jesus of all these other different, all these other different places. It was a name that was, for the Jews, was a name of hope. It was a name of religious identity. It was a declaration against a godless culture. It was a name, a little bit like the name Christian, that it identifies you and identifies who you belong to. In Islam, it would be a little bit like the name being given to someone as Muhammad, that it's a cultural name. It is a name of a religious identity, a name of who you belong to, who you belong to, And who it is that you are a part of. And what is fascinating, particularly with the name of Jesus, is that it was so widely used in the first and second centuries, but suddenly, in the second century, the name stopped being used. In fact, the name stopped being used, it was rejected by the Jews. The Jews stopped using the name, and they reverted to using strictly the Jewish name. So they wouldn't use the name translated into only other languages, such as Jesus, which is the Greek, Greek version of it. They would only use Yeshua, which is actually the name Joshua. We translate Joshua from the Old Testament. And so what is this name? What is this name that was so universally accepted, so universally anticipated, and then all of a sudden so universally so universally rejected. Well, we see the insight into this verse here in verses 21 through 23, where the angel says to Joseph, You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so Matthew is clear that the name Jesus... Fulfills the prophecy that he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. Now we might read that and say, wait a second. He named him Jesus, not Emmanuel, right? He didn't. How does that fulfill the prophecy? Well, Emmanuel is more of a title. It would be as if it was said of me that my name would be called Pastor, even though that, that itself is not my given name. That his name would be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us, but Jesus um, is being his given name. The word Jesus itself is a compound word. It's a compound sentence It means that God saves, God rescues, or as the text tells us here, he will be called his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. That Jesus is the Emmanuel, God with us, who came to save us from our sins. Well, let's take a step back. We look at this passage, this Christmas story, and let's ask ourselves, what is Christmas about? Well, Kenny Rogers would, you know, opine that Christmas is for kids. Christmas cards would tell us that Christmas is for giving, it's for goodwill, it's for cheer. Maybe you want something a little bit more out of your Christmas. So so Christmas is the need to have your celebration recognized. I'm always kind of amused by this in the commercial realm. A couple years ago, it was because Walmart and Target took Merry Christmas out of their display then Christmas sales dropped, so they stuck it back in, and then Christmas sales went back up. Woohoo! Walmart's for Christmas. This past year is because of Starbucks, right? Starbucks just had red cups, and the outrage that they would just have solid red cups because they're not recognizing our celebration as cri- as, of Christmas. So Dunkin' Donuts steps in, and they put Christmassy themes on their cups. Okay, let's go buy our, co- let's go buy our coffee from Dunkin' Donuts. What's Christmas about? Let's getting our celebration recognized. Well, how about two that are a little bit closer to home? What's Christmas about? Well, it's about presents. Oh, no, 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 no. We know it's not about presents. We know it's not about that. But the conversations will readily go on right now. Well, how was your Christmas? Oh, it was good. I got everything that I wanted. But it's not about the presents, right? Or a little slightly differently, how about this one? What's Christmas is about? It's about family. And, of course, that being a good thing. Before, uh, earlier this fall, in the beginning of December, I was reading an article in a Christian leadership magazine, and the article was entitled, Five Mistakes That Churches Make for Christmas Eve Services. It's like, oh, that's interesting. So I started to read this article, and number two on the list was competing with family. I'm like, what is that? And it says, well, when you're trying to decide what your service should be like, and how long your service should be, and what time your service should, is at, you need to do so in a way that your service doesn't compete with family. Because if it comes down between having a family dinner and having a worship service, family wins every time. So move your worship services. I'm like, isn't that interesting? Why is that the case? Because Christmas isn't about Jesus, it's about family. And that will take the place of anything else, even Jesus, if you will. And then we think about it, and here this, to the Sunday on December 27th, the Sunday after Christmas, Right? And someone asked me, not a part of our church, they said, so the Sunday after Christmas, do you still preach about Christmas, the Sunday after Christmas? I'm like, well, that's kind of a funny question. I mean, the month of December is Advent in the church calendar, where this whole idea comes from. And the purpose of Advent is to look forward to the celebration that Jesus Christ has come and remember that, and also that we would look forward to his coming again. That's what Advent's about. And then you have the 12 days of Christmas, which begin not the 12 days before Christmas, but they begin the 12 days after Christmas. Why? So that after anticipating and looking forward to what Christ would do and what he is coming to do again, that you would have a devoted time in the religious calendar to focus on Jesus Christ and on the worship of him. So yes, it's the Sunday after Christmas, and yes, we are actually talking about Christmas. So if Christmas isn't about those things, well, what is it about? Well, it tells us here, from the, from the very, the declared essence of Christmas, from the first announcement of the angel to Mary and to Joseph, from the very first mention that there ever would be a Christmas, what is about is told to us when it says, You shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. And that's what Christmas is about. But maybe for people who are here today I mean, maybe for people I mean who actually go to church on the Sunday after Christmas, I mean, maybe the idea that Jesus saves His people from their sins is a little bit too common. Then like we kind of lose the weight and the significance of what this is about and what the significance and weight of the name Jesus is about because it's so common to us. Well let's try it this way. I've got a different declaration for you, you ready? Zoltar has paid for your crimes. It is great news. Zoltar has paid for your crimes. Now, you need to acknowledge and recognize that if you are not a part of the church and haven't been exposed to the church, that sentence makes about as much sense as Jesus saves his people from their sins. And if someone came to you and declared, Zoltar has paid for your crimes, what would be the questions you would ask? Who's Zoltar? How did he pay for my crimes? And I didn't even know that I had any crimes. So what are the crimes that I have that all of a sudden this guy, whoever he is, suddenly has paid for us? Well, the same question we ask in the name of Jesus. For he saves you from your sins. Well, what sins and how exactly did he pay for them? Let's start to that second aspect. Jesus has paid for your sins. Well, what sins? Let's do a little Christmas math. You know, the song has been sung, I'm sure you've heard it many times over the last couple weeks. You know, he's checking, he's making a list, he's checking it twice, he's going to find out who's naughty or nice. Well, how does that list work out? You know, I mean, it's just a review of the last year, not your whole life, right? We can be a little bit okay there, maybe, maybe not, depending upon how your last year went. So you think about this, and you ask most people, uh, you know, how, how do they view themselves? They usually characterize themselves, well, I'm a good person. Now, I mean, I'm a good person. I'm not as bad as other people. I'm a pretty good person. When I compare myself to my friends, yeah, I think I'm a little bit better than those people. Okay, fair enough. You feel that you should be on, not on the naughty list here at this time of year, right? And so let's just do a little bit of math of that. Say, let's say you're a, let's say you're a really, a really good person. And um, let's say you only um, break God's law. You only sin, let's say, um, a couple times a day. Say maybe like three times a day. Let's say that you, um, you know, you, 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 you got angry at the person that cut you off in traffic. Um, you got frustrated with a family member who kept nagging you about something, but you didn't really show it. And let's say, you know, someone needed help, your neighbor needed help, and you didn't help the little old lady across the street, Okay. And you just, just didn't get, get to it because of things going on. If you take those three, if that was all the extent of the sin in your life, well, that would, be, that would be pretty good, would it not? I mean, you'd be a virtual saint. You could probably legitimately say, I'm a pretty good person. Well, let's add that up. Three times sins a day, the course of a year, thousand sins a year. And the reality is it's many times more than that a day, at least it is for me. And so Scripture calls sin any violation of God's law. So that would be violations of breaking God's law in our thoughts, in the things that we actually say, in the things that we do. But it's not only the things that we have actively done that are wrong, but also the good things that God calls us to do that we fail to do. The right things that we were supposed to say and build up that we didn't say. The right actions that we were supposed to live and care for other people, and to show the love of Christ, and be like the love of Christ, the things that we should have done that we didn't do. All of those things, all are called sin, because they break God's law. And suddenly, three sins a day seems like, yeah, if that's it, you would be a a pretty, pretty good person. Well, the challenge here with this and the nature of sin is that any time somebody sins against somebody else, there is a debt that is incurred. Experientially, you know this, or at least you've heard it. That if someone has done something wrong to you, and you've been deeply offended by someone, or you've heard of someone who's deeply offended, frequently the thought that says this man, I just want to make them pay. I just want to make them pay. Well, make them pay for what? Make them pay for the debt that has been incurred. Make them pay for the debt that resulted from sins intentionally committed and from the right things that were done that didn't happen, that were supposed to be done that didn't happen to be done. That each of those sins has created a debt not only by the nature of the sin itself, but also by whom that sin is against. If you consider, you know, if a someone, you know, punches a family member, punches their brother, for example, okay, that's a sin. Maybe they get put in time out. If that person punches a police officer, or actually makes it through and punches the President of the United States, same sin, different person, much bigger consequences. Why? Is the sin different? No. But who it was against is different. And so, too, is that our sins, not only are they against one another, but they're also against God himself. And that has created a debt not only to one another, but a debt before God. And the word of God is clear that the wages of sin is death. The the penalty, the, the just compensation for our sins in our life is death. And our sins have created a debt that we cannot pay. And the just penalty for our debt that we cannot pay is death as scripture declares it. So that's the half of the equation. Jesus saves his people from their sins. Those are our sins. That's the challenge. Well, how does Jesus save his people from their sins? Who was this guy? First off, he was God become flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, as we looked at on Christmas Eve. But not only that, but what Jesus did is that he is the one who saves us from our sins. Well, how does that occur? Scripture gives several other, multiple other descriptions and clarifies the nature of what Jesus he saves his people from their sins of what Jesus has done. One of those in Revelation chapter 5 verse 9. The declaration about what Jesus has done. They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you, Jesus, to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why? For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. What did Jesus do? For by your blood you ransom people for God from every tribe and every tribe and language and people and nation. Jesus saves his people from their sins by being a ransom. A ransom is the payment that is made to release someone from slavery, payment that is made to release someone from bondage. You see it, of course, when criminals hijack people, they hold someone for ransom. What do they want? They want a payment so that the people who are in, held in slavery and bondage, that that payment, that that ransom would set them free. And Jesus saves his people from their sins by being a ransom, that his death is the payment that releases us from bondage, that he pays the debt that we cannot pay so that we would be set free. And the ransom price, if the wages of sin is death, the ransom price is the cost of his life. And that's what Jesus does. He gives himself to save us from our sins. But the word of God emphasizes this, um, emphasizes both aspects, both components of the name of Jesus. Of what Jesus has done and also our predicament. Romans 5.8 puts it this way, one of many passages. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What Romans identifies is that the problem is not only have we committed sins, have we committed wrongs, have we violated God's law, but there's also a problem with who we are. While we were yet sinners. That is, we, it is, we are sinners not because we sin, but rather we sin because of who we are. We sin because we are sinners sinners. And what scripture declares is while we were sinners, not only what we've done, but who we are, Christ died for us as a ransom to set us free. Another passage, a couple verses later. And we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. What is the problem of our sin? Is that we have been estranged from God, alienated from him. That we have been enemies of God, as scripture declares. But by the death of his son, we have been reconciled to him, that there's been a way for our relationship to be restored, to be made a part, to be made right, for that relationship to be healed and brought back together. Another passage, First Peter two, that Jesus bore our sins in his body on the cross. What does that mean? Is that he is the one who took the punishment for our sins. He is the one who made the payment for the debt that we could not pay. Not only did he do that in bearing the punishment for our sins, but on the cross, he broke the power of sin over us. And when Jesus Christ returns, one day, yes, the very presence of sin in our life will be removed. He bore our sins in his body on the cross. And not only does he take our sins away, but everything that is good, right, and beautiful about Jesus Christ, the riches of Christ credited in his account, is given to us, transferred to us. Ours is taken away, his is given. His righteousness is given to us. Our problem, Jesus is the one who solves it by saving his people from their sin. Well, let's go back. Let's see another passage of these two natures. What Christ does and our problem. What Jesus does and why he does it. Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. Your transgressions are... Transgressions are the really bad types of sin. okay. And the reason why transgressions are the really bad types of sin is that transgressions are the sin that religious people commit. Transgressions are the sins of saying, I know what God requires of me, I know the boundary, I know what I should and shouldn't do, and I am intentionally going to cross it. Transgressions are sins of intentionality. They're not sins of accident. They're not sins of ignorance, they are sins of intentionality, of what religious people do, intentionally sinning against God. It says, he was pierced for our transgressions. Then it goes on, he was crushed for our iniquities, iniquities being a reference to immorality, our uncleanliness, transgressions would be a subset of iniquities. And then it continues, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Why? Because apart from Jesus, there is no peace between one another or between man and God. And then it continues, and with his wounds, being that the punishment, the penalty, the debt of sin is death. And with his wounds, we who are sick and broken and dysfunctional, with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. that we've each wandered off. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him... Taken from you and put on him the iniquity of us all. And anyone who believes in Jesus, who believes this truth, who stops trusting in themselves but turns and trusts in Jesus, then yes, Jesus saves them from their sins and will be saved from their sins. And this is the truth. This truth is the foundation of Christmas. Mary. Joseph, Mary, is with child. What is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And you shall name him Jesus. Why? For he shall save his people from their sins. It is the foundation of Christmas. It is what Christmas is about. The promise given to Joseph. The angel's proclamation about this babe. His name would be Jesus. It is why Christmas is such good news. Good news that Yeshua, Jesus, Jesus, who saves his people from their sins, has come. And as we stand on this side of Christ's birth and his death and resurrection, not only has he come, but yes, he has saved his people from their sins. But it is this very truth, Jesus, this good news, that is... Eliminated by Christmas. How ironic, is it not? Whether, by, whether it's eliminated from Christmas by the wrong emphasis, a wrong emphasis on presents or family or good cheer, or it's eliminated by intentionally eliminating Jesus, both halves of his name, the G and the ZUS, or rather Jesus saves his people from their sins. We'll go with that half and that half. Either one of those seeks to get eliminated. Either one of those people don't like the idea of Jesus says, What? I'm a pretty good person. I can save myself. I'm good enough. I think I'm fine without him. Why is Jesus the only way? We don't need that. I don't like that. That sounds primitive. Let's get rid of that part. Or the other half of that. Jesus saves his people from their sins. You know, I'm not as bad as others this whole idea that, that, you know, I don't like this whole idea of punishment or that my actions or my words or my sins have been real actions that have created a real debt and there are real consequences in my life and there is a real debt that I cannot pay. I don't like that. So I'm just going to eliminate that part from Christmas. Or I'm going to eliminate the idea that my actions have common consequences. I'm going to get rid of the idea that, that. You know, that I may not be reconciled to God. I mean, after all, God is just the cosmic Santa Claus, right? The jolly old man who's there to give me what I want whenever I ask it for him. I mean, that's who God is, right? Well, maybe we can make God like that. Let's eliminate who God is. Let's eliminate our need. And let's eliminate eliminate what Jesus has done. But all of those different pieces, in whatever way Jesus is getting displaced from Christmas, for whatever reason people would do so all of those things are what i mean they're merely just your opinion if you don't like those things or the opinion of your friends or selected writers you know when i talk with people who are not christians and i ask people what they believe usually they tell me pretty much the same same thing they usually say yeah i believe that there's a god i believe that he exists and I believe that he, he was there to help, you know, that he, he can help me and I, and I need him at times in my life. And I believe that I'm, I'm a pretty good person. And I'm like, oh, really? Okay. How did you come up with that idea? Well, I just made up my own mind that that's what I believed. I just came to my own conclusion. Okay. Well, it's pretty interesting because everybody I talk to says the exact same thing. That's not so unique. now, is it? It's not so unique if your views could be put on television and the majority of Americans and people would say, yes, that's what I believe. Way to go. You came up with your own conclusion. Think about that. And if you're, what you believe is just what everyone else's believes, how unique is that? How much have you made up your own mind? And I would just ask you and challenge you is that are you willing to leave something with such stakes to your own musings? Would you leave something of such magnitude to the opinions of other people? Hey, this is just what we think, and I don't like this idea of Jesus. I don't like that he's the one that saves, and I don't like the idea that I'm the one that needs savings. Are you just going to leave this up to yourself and leave this up to your own opinion, or would you actually embrace Christmas? Would you actually embrace Christmas? The real reason and the purpose of Christmas is Jesus— for he saves his people from their sins. And so what does that mean for you? What it means is that, yes, you need to have a recognition that I have sinned, that I cannot save myself, and I need saving. And I am trusting that Jesus is the one who alone can save me from my sins. That's what Christmas is about. And would you embrace Christmas and not just the latest version of your own opinions or someone else's this Christmas season? You see, Jesus did not come to validate our feelings. He did not come to be whoever we want to make him out to be in our minds. He did not come to provide a warm feeling and pretty decorations and chance to sing carols and drink toasts and feasts and exchange gifts. But Jesus came to save us from our sins. And that is something to celebrate. Celebrate. That is something to make merry about and to give toasts over. And that is something for every one of us over the next 12 days, if it hadn't been for the month of December. That is something to keep ourselves focused on in the midst of Christmas. And so, yes, if it hasn't happened yet, I do hope that you have a Merry Christmas because Jesus has saved you from your sins. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, who saves us from our sins. Lord, I pray for those who have gathered here today that don't know you, who've found out a way, figured out a way to eliminate you from Christmas and eliminate you from their life. Lord, would this be the day that your spirit works in them to draw them to yourself, that they would indeed embrace Christmas, embrace Jesus, who alone can save them from their sins. And Father, for everyone else here, for those of us who do trust in Jesus, Lord, would you use this time of year, would you use this time away from the ordinary routine, would you use this time of year of extraordinary effort and focus, various symbols around us, Lord, would you use those things not ju- as not just reminders of how fun it is to be Christmas time, but would you use those things as reminders that Jesus is the one who saves us from our sins. Would Christmas lights remind us that Jesus is the light in the darkness? Would the evergreen tree remind us, Lord, that you are the one who gives light, life in the midst of death, and your life never ends? Lord, would you be the one who reminds us in the exchange of Christmas gifts, would you be present, Lord, that you are the gift that came to us to save us from our sins? Lord, thank you. Fill our hearts with joy, with merriment, because you, Lord Jesus, have saved us from our sins, and it is in your name we pray, amen.